You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Welcome to Mission Lab. My name is Camille Brace, and I, of course, am here with my husband, Sean. And this is episode 46, and this is the second half of our question episodes. Uh, We had many of you guys submit questions to us, and we did uh, the first part of that series last week. And we are going to finish it up this week with a few more questions. Um, So our first question this evening... I wanted to say, though... Oh, yes. That it's really funny, because we had our drawing last week for the book, and Sarah won the drawing. Congratulations, yes. And it just so happens that the day that the episode was released, announcing that she won the drawing, it was her birthday. That's amazing. That is just maybe providential. I don't know. We gotta, We still got to get the book to her, but happy birthday, Sarah. And for those of you who are interested still in knowing what that book was, uh, Saturate by... You say it. Go Jeff ahead. Vanderstelt. And uh, we've talked about him several times and the ideas that he has in his books. So if you want to go out and purchase that, um, we would highly recommend that book, um, yes. Saturate. But we will be getting that book to you as soon as possible, Sarah. Thank you again for submitting your questions. We do have one more question that we're going to answer from Sarah, and then we're going to get to a couple of other questions. And so go ahead, uh, Camille. Yeah, so one of her questions was, if you could go back to your childhood knowing what you know now, what would you do differently or speak up about? You want to answer that first? Go ahead. Um, so I would I would say that... Um, I've always kind of been a gospel-loving person, and um, as I've shared in my story, I had great parents that really discipled me. We didn't use that term, but discipled me in the gospel, which was awesome. But I would say that to some extent, when I was younger, um, I didn't have as loving a an attitude as maybe I do now, not to imply that I'm like, I'm so loving now, but I think I was a lot more black and white in my attitude and a lot more judgmental and maybe didn't give off as warm a, a spirit and personality to people. And I was kind of known, I think you could ask my peers from that time, um, you know, what they thought of me and they maybe would have said I was kind of legalistic and um, just very dogmatic and rigid and strict. You know, not that I was like this really, really, really strict conservative, but, you know, when somebody was doing something that I disagreed with, man, I would let them know. And, you know, I used to write for my, um, my student newspaper at my college. And there's this, you know, funny story about growing, uh, not growing up, but there's this funny story about how I wrote an article, um, one time decrying the, uh, problems with caffeine. And I was just so 
bothered by how all of my peers were drinking coffee and what a terrible thing this was. And I said in the article that, you know, lest you forget, caffeine is a drug. And so I had a number of my friends. <laughs> oh, my. A number of my friends who loved me in spite of my my zealous ways would walk around and just kind of humorously say, Sean Brace says caffeine is a drug. <laughs> and so, yeah, just like I think I would have been more gracious and gentle with people than I than I was. And um, you since now realize that some of those agendas really aren't as yeah, important not, as not as critical. Now, interestingly, I just read an article about boy, I'm going down this path again. <laughs> I just read an article about uh, how in the state of California they are uh, labeling uh, coffee as 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 being a cause of cancer in California. So anyway, that's besides the point. You know, I still think, you know, it's probably not the best, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I think hopefully I extend more grace to people and um, realize that we're all at a different place and more eager to listen to people's story and and not make quick judgments. So that's what I would change, Sarah, about my childhood and my young younger years, my adolescent years. What about you, Camille? Um, yeah, so I think mine would probably just pretty basic. I think being able to, um, get out in my community more, um, as, um, a Seventh-day Adventist and going to an Adventist elementary school and high school and college, a lot of our, um, mission projects, we did get out into the community, um, but they focused usually on one area and that was usually, um, the homeless and, you know, going door to door with like, you know, collecting cans for like the the soup kitchen, which are all great projects. Um, but I don't know that we got necessarily a chance to do life with people. Yeah, we would do those things, you know, once a month or we go to the nursing home, which is great. Um, but we didn't get in and do life with people in our community. And I think that's probably the main thing, um, that I would change. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of alluded to it and maybe episode three about being bubble boy, bubble girl, just not being incarnational, having this fortress mentality that we need to stick to our fort and maybe occasionally go out and serve people, but then quickly retreat back into our our safe fortress. Um, and so, yeah, I think that resonates with me. So thank you, Sarah. We will now turn to uh, a question from Ron. This is not Ronald, who we... Uh, answered a question for last week. This is Ron. And uh, Camille, I know you are eager to tackle this one. I I'm am. not even sure. <laughs> do you even? Oh. Do, yes. <laughs> I'll read the question. So Ron, thank you for your submission. Um, I've known you a very long time. So this, per- this uh, so Ron says, how does a person's understanding of inspiration affect their understanding of major social issues? i.e. welfare, immigration, human trafficking, abortion, sexuality, um, isolationism versus world policing, gun control, environmental issues, etc. Um, so what do you what do you want to say, Sean? How no, do you want to tackle that? What do you want to say, Camille? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Give us a a ten minute uh, exposition on inspiration, revelation, and hermeneutics. Can you yes. do that? What's the uh, hermeneutics of 
of you know what's our those have never approach? been my specialties no, really not big into hermeneutics yeah i don't what know about, if i can say that word <laughs> what about epistemology you, you're a big fan of epistemology yes <laughs> yeah so this is a huge question and i'm not sure that i can do it justice um but I'll take a, a little stab at it. And Camille, if you have anything you want to say, I'll jump feel right in. Feel free to jump right in. Yeah. So um, basically, the question is how do we approach scripture and other authoritative texts? And how do we then apply scripture to current issues, be they social or religious? I would I would add, although Ron doesn't necessarily say that explicitly. He also goes on to uh, to you know ask about sub issues like verbal inspiration, inerrancy, casebook versus codebook. So let me just first of all paint a picture of what is a a, a an unfortunate approach to scripture, and I've been really um, sensing the the downside of this approach recently in some of my interactions, and that is a fundamentalist approach to scripture. I used to think, well, what's wrong with fundamentalism? And I think on some levels, fundamentalism is appropriate, but I think the way that fundamentalism is commonly understood or used in the pejorative sense is when when people approach scripture or other authoritative texts and completely uh, ignore the the context, the historical context, the literary context, the fuller biblical context, when we take those writings and we extract them from their context and use them as some sort of universal rules that one must follow. So again, this is a big topic, but I think there are portions of, of the Bible, for ex- just as one example, that are universal across the board. Like uh, for example, you may have heard this idea of not murdering people. That is, no matter where you are, no matter what what point in history you are, that is always going to be wrong. It's always going to be bad. So murdering people is just like there's no hermeneutical approach that would be able to explain away that prohibition. Um, there. So so what I'm what I'm getting at is there are many parts of scripture that speak to universal timeless principles that are applicable, you know, in all times and all places. Uh, There are other portions of scripture that are not normative across all cultures, contexts, times, and peoples. Let me give a a very quick example. Um, The Apostle Paul, and this is a very easy example, in 1 Corinthians talks about how women when they are praying, need to cover their head with some sort of hat or some sort of prayer shawl or something like that. And last I checked, Camille, do you cover your head when you pray? No. No. Okay. Still with me, Camille? Yes. (laughs) So um, people, I think, have rightfully understood that that specific counsel by the Apostle Paul was 
addressed to a specific group of people in a specific place in a specific time. And so we recognize that our context is different now. And so we have been able to navigate um, and to understand that it, you know, it's, it's not really applicable to us now. So the task of, of, uh, of the biblical interpreter is to be able to approach it using the proper hermeneutical tools and lens to be able to discern those things which are universally normative versus the other things that are merely culturally bound and conditioned. And, you know, we could talk about many, many different issues. You know, he talks about welfare, immigration, human trafficking, abortion, sexuality, so forth and so on. Um, you know, those could be conversations that we could have, you and I, Ron, could have about how, you know, how scripture informs those specific issues one by one. Uh, but one of the principles I use is, um, number one, I look at Eden, uh, the original uh, Garden of Eden, and I look at Eden Restored. And those are kind of bookends of scripture. And um, I see what is normative for Eden in the beginning and what will be normative for Eden at the end. And then I also use kind of as a central point between those bookends, the cross. And I say, okay, how does the cross, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how do these things now inform, um, you know, whatever issue I'm looking at? And so I'll, I'll give you another example. And this is a hot button topic in our particular denomination, which Ron, I know you're a part of, and that is whether women should or should not be pastors and ordained as such. And so many people will point to the Old Testament and they'll say, well, there were no women priests. Or some people will look at the apostles and say there were no female apostles, which is actually debatable. But um, the point is I take Eden uh, in the beginning and Eden restored. And then I look at the cross and I say, what, how do these things inform my understanding of that particular issue? And I see in the beginning, Eden, the Garden of Eden, man and woman were supposed to be equal. Now, of course, this is where a lot of the debate happens. Um, but then I look at, at, at Eden restored and it seems like there is, is an, an egalitarianism there as well. And then you come to the cross and the Apostle Paul says there is neither male nor female. Does that mean there's uh, a blurring of gender distinctions? No, but he's just saying neither male nor female is superior religiously. And so, no, we're not getting rid of gender you know, distinctions. We're just saying that neither gender has an advantage when it comes to religious privileges or salvation or... Um, being, you know, on mission for God. So that's just another, you know, very simple example of how I would work through the uh, implications of whatever specific issue we're talking about. You know, the funny thing is, that's exactly what I was going to say, Sean. Wow. <laughs> All of what you just said Aren't is amazing. You, wow. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to go on for too long with this, but I think that's just a little insight into how I think we should approach scripture in general. And if Ron, you have any more follow-up questions, 
I would love to interact with you via email because despite the rumors that Camille has spread that I'm not into theology anymore, <laughs> I very You said much, that yourself. I, I, no, I'm, I'm still into it. You hinted at that. I'm not, in, I'm not into it apart from mission. Uh, I'm into it still, but we just need to connect it to the practical everyday mission of, uh, of the Christian life. So, uh, yeah, send me a follow-up email if you want, Ron. Hopefully that helps. All right. Thank you, Ron. So our next question is from Rob. I feel like we have a lot of... We have raw ROs. Yeah. Yes. A lot of Rob, Ron, Ronald. We have not made up these people. They are legit people. So Rob, thank you for your question. So his question, and this is the last one we're going to be able to get to for this episode. It says, um, so he's recounting an episode where you had said we should move away from pastor dependency models of ministry. Mm Mm-hmm about moving away from pastor dependency and equipping the saints instead to do ministry. Mm-hmm. So his question is, mm-hmm. as this shift occurs, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the impact on tithes and offerings. Mm. So to clarify mm-hmm. what in our church, what tithes and offerings are for. because well, What is tithe? So tithe is um, a biblical um, statement, mm-hmm. biblical model that um, Christ asks us to give 10% of our earnings mm-hmm. back to him. Mm-hmm. So in our church... So, that- so God has like a bank up in heaven? Yes, no. <laughs> so so what that means in, in our context um, for Seventh-day Adventists is that um, members give 10% of their tithe... Of their or, earnings. Or of their earnings, sorry. The, the, literally the word tithe means a tenth. Yes. So... They give that to our local conference. Well, they, they give it to the local church. Yes. And then the local church gives it up to the conference. So in our conference, that is Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And then that tithe is used to pay the pastors mm-hmm. um, their salary. And unlike some other churches... Pastor salaries are pretty much straight across the board. Uniform. Um, yeah, no pastor gets like, if Sean was a pastor of a thousand member church, he would not get paid more than someone who's pastoring a one hundred member church. Mm-hmm. So there's no, um, there's no impetus for me to do a better job. Well, and and, and it, well, there's no, there's no, there's no um, impetus for you to try, try to, to just, gain people into yeah. your church for money's sake. Because yes. I know I've had that question asked before, mm-hmm. and I like to clarify that um, in our conference, in our denomination of Seventh Day Adventists, unlike some other denominations, that and is how our um, that is how our money system works. And mm-hmm. and even presidents and vice presidents of our conference get paid very similar to what pastors get paid. So mm-hmm. it's not like you, someone's trying to work up the ladder um, and say it's for ministry, and they say mm-hmm. it's for ministry, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the question was, well, if we're moving away from pastors and we are trying to raise up um church members, non-pastors to basically oversee congregations, then what's the point of tithe and where would it go? And should we still, you know, give back our tithe? And so, yeah, it's, I think it's a very good question. I had not thought of that question until Rob sent it into us. And I would just very simply say, um, 
the role of the pastor would change, but the pastor would still be a paid employee of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The pastor would now be one who equips and raises up churches and what he's supposed to yeah what he was called to do in the first place yeah so there would still be need to compensate if you will the apostle paul says the the laborer is worthy of his wages and the apostle paul was an itinerant uh apostle who went around from city to city and he raised up new churches and he evangelized the territories. Um, and you know, there were times where he supported himself, but then there are other times where he said, Hey, it's good, good for people to, to, um, you know, support the ministry via their tithes and offerings. So yeah, I would just say, um, the, the position of pastor would not be eliminated. It would simply be the role of that pastor would be altered. And we would changed. love to see that change for every church in our yeah, conference. So, so like in my case, I would, by God's grace, equip um, lay people, which is to say people who are, and I just was listening to somebody the other day, they don't like the term lay people because it implies a distinction between a professional clergy uh, cast and, you know, those who are not as important, but I'm just using it as a term that some people understand. So if, if I equipped a lay person to oversee now that local church, I would then move on and raise up a new church and I would equip people in that congregation and then move on and raise up another church. And so, you know, the pastor, planter, apostle, if you will, would still be um, doing that full time and the tithes could be used to support that particular, uh, ministry model. So I think that's, uh, the law, the long and short of, um, you know, the answer to that question, hopefully I, I addressed it adequately, Rob. And if I did not, again, you have our email address and we'd be happy to follow up with you on that. So thanks for submitting it. Um, that's, and thank you, everyone else who yes. submitted questions. Sorry if we didn't get to yours. I think maybe we'll probably do this in another maybe. year or six months. Yeah, six I don't months, know. 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. Very good questions. We've enjoyed it. And uh, even if we don't have another episode with another public Q&A time, don't hesitate to email us with other questions that we could answer in the meantime. And if, again, we didn't answer your question, we can always respond to you via email as time allows. And so anything else, Camille, before we sign off here from Windy Bangor? I think that's it. Thanks for listening. This has been Mission Lab. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.